topic. Welcome, everybody. How's everybody well, doing? You know, Ichi, how about you? Good. I'm doing good. Joe. What's up, guys? Hey, Jesus. This, this fucking camera. Okay, all right. I'm, I'm in the show. I'm ready to go. Kevin, you look good. What kind of camera is it, Julian? Why it's do you fucking, dislike it's it? It's an opal. It's an opal. You know, you look good. Opal. You look good. Thank you, thank you, Kevin. I'm, I'm trying. <laughs> I always get you. With, you look good, and then you'll keep on trying. <laughs> <laughs> That's it. Just, I just need a little bit of encouragement. What's on your mind? What's on your mind, Kevin? Um, what's on my mind right now? Um, we were going back and forth with this in, in the the group chat that we had. Um, but it was around YC. So, mm. um, Gary Tan, let me just pull up his, the, um, so the, oh the president, yeah, the president or what is he, the, the CEO of YC? What, what is his title? President yeah. and CEO of YC. Um, he, uh, so the YC demo days just happened, um, and we're in, the 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 kind of the the market we're in right now um is kind of weird we have uh so svb um collapsed got it got bought out um there's not a lot of uh investment to go around to uh later stage companies um yc um obviously continues to to go on and there was i was trying to find his his tweet here um Basically, uh, he, he said that um, it doesn't, yeah, oh, here it is. Founders comparing early stage round valuations is like comparing the color of shoes at the beginning of a marathon. So um, the reason I thought that was interesting is that like we're going through this like insane, like right, right now, like series B and C or even A, like this huge valuation reset. Mm -hmm. And then you have Gary Tan coming out and saying it, it doesn't matter what these early stage round valuations are. Mm -hmm. And it just seems like, especially in this environment, I understand like these are, so probably what is, is, is happening is that, um, people starting companies, right? Like they're, they're earlier on. Um, and so there still is a lot of capital for seed stage companies with the hopes that eventually like these companies will IPO in 10 years and the, the market will be better and all those different things. So I, I could definitely see, um, how you can under how, why there's a lot of capital going into seed, why people are more bullish on putting money there, why Garretan thinks that valuations don't really matter. But like what we're seeing right now is like, they mm -hmm. do fucking matter. Like there yeah. are companies getting crushed right now, going out of business because they took too much capital. They took too high valuations. And, um, in when all, when the times were good and there was a lot of companies going public, their, their value, their, their market caps are getting crushed. So I thought it was just really interesting. And I just, I love YC for so many of the things that they do, but this is the one thing that I hate that they do. And I don't know if it is because they're looking to get a markup on their companies. Um, but going through, I've never been through YC, so I definitely can't speak from my experience mm -hmm. um, there. But it's really, it's like they really, what I've heard is like they try to like beat into like get as much money 
at its as high valuation as you can. You're, you're and, literally, you're going to create so much hate with this podcast. Okay. So, um, and, and I just so don't, I don't, I don't, I don't agree with that. I think it's, I think it's a silly strategy mm -hmm. to do that. And yeah. you've seen what happens when companies do that now. Well, here, I, I was just recently on a, a, a thing with first round capital where they talk about, uh, you know, talk to only early stage funds or uh, early stage companies. I got in through one of my investors and they're talking a little bit about the stuff that they have, that they've seen. And one of them is like, if you raise in 2021 or 2022, um, just have your valuation, just straight up cut it in half. It doesn't matter. Everyone is already uh, cutting it in half in the first place. So you might as well do that because nobody respects this valuation. Nobody thinks that it's real. And so uh, I will, I will say again, you know, it's funny. I was imagining you have these scenarios in your mind. You're, you're like, would I go into YC now? And I still don't know the answer. I think I might even today thinking about it, not with this business, but if I ever start another business, maybe I would, but the, I, I don't know today whether, you know, the valuations are there. Everyone knows that they're imaginary. And, and I think YC comes up from a, from a place of, if it's not working, fuck it and abandon it, which actually like, unless you really believe in it and at which point respect and continue to do the thing, but it's more almost like startup ideas are worthless if they're not going anywhere and just get, just, just abandon them. Andy? Julian, kind of on the imaginary side of uh, that, everything is imaginary at the early stage. Obviously, it's a little bit different when you start crossing 30, 40, 50 million dollar pre money valuation. But, mm. do you but that's, think what, you're that's what's happening. That I mean, I know we know that's what's happening, but it's, it's, it's because of this fucked up time where everyone was just throwing. I mean, you remember what it was like doing these fundraisings. For those of us, if you're listening and feel like you're part of this group and good on you, because like it's not a lot of people, I think. They were just like, yeah, fuck it. Let's do another round. We've had like a modicum of traction. Let's let's execute and 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 bring $15 million in. Like that was just happening 18 months ago. It was crazy. Which is the worst advice ever for a pre-product market fit company. Um, there was also, I think that um, from another one of the, I can't, I can't remember what his title was, but from YC, he actually just, Put a, a a tweet. It's basically like the 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 biggest reason startups fail um, is well, for one, I think the number one is like the the you just can't build a product that people like at all, um, or you break up as as founders or something like that. Um, but in there was like you rescale um, a company that has not found product yes. market fit. Yeah. You hire a bunch of engineers. You get over your skis and. That's exactly what you're going to do with, if you raise mm -hmm. a $15 million seed round, that is what you are going to do. Yeah, the expectations well, no, I, are so, so high. I, yeah, I think the expectations are very high, but certain ideas, we're, we're, you're, we're all approaching this from marketplace, B to, generic B2B, sure. B2C. Certain ideas require 15, 20, 30, 40, 50 million dollars of capital. If you go talk to a healthcare founder, they're going to need 100, if you're a biotech guy. You're going to need 175 to sure. 200 million dollars to approve a drug. Would you rather take 200 million dollars today, and you're still a coin toss odds at best 
are you going to be successful? And you're going to spend 10 years of your life or do you ever constantly fundraise? So, I mean, this generic advice that you need to raise $2 million on a PowerPoint as a, at a pre-seed of X, and then you need to go raise a seed, and then you need to go raise an A, it applies to some companies, but it doesn't apply to others. And so I guess I see Kevin's point of don't raise more than you need. I mean, the, rea the reality is, is don't scale too fast. I'd much rather have more money and more time and more capital if I could do, if, if you can mentally take it, knowing that you're on a three to five year journey. I mean, and... it's not just like fucking, it's just like, isn't every round just get whatever the fuck you can or whatever terms you can and try to survive? No. That's, yes. I mean, Julian, I'm with you on this one, man. Just try to survive. That's what we're all just trying to do here. The last company I ran, it was, Oh, fuck. How much runway do we have? You know, I don't know. I just, this recent, this like thing of milestones based fundraising is new to me. I was on a treadmill every 18 months I was raising because right. I had to. And because I was in a high burn business. And, and so like, it was just like, well, let's see what we can get out there. Oh, fuck. You know? And it just kind of kept working. Joe, you've raised a lot of money. You tell us, you know, you feel like you're, you're the old wise man here, I think. <laughs> Definitely the old one. I don't know about the wise one. Um, you know, I, I think this conversation about companies raising too much at seed today, you know, 18 months ago applied to everyone today applies to like a small subset of YC companies doing AI stuff. And I, you know, they'll figure their stuff out one way or another. And, and that may be one of those industries where having the runway to do whatever winner take all things you need to do is is critical you know time will tell most people right now most early stage companies and even kind of mid-stage are in this world of like can i just like not do a down round right can mm -hmm. i get enough runway to make meaningful progress so i can do another round in x number of months uh, i think that is the reality i don't think most people need to be told in this moment not to raise too much at too high of a valuation. Everyone's just trying to get a deal done. Mm -hmm. um, and the like subset of YC AI companies, you know, that exist in their own bubble will figure their own shit out. I think also those, well, I will, most of those AI companies have costs. They have training costs. They have compute costs. Compute, yeah. They have GPU costs, depending on what you facet of AI you're doing. I mean, there's a reason you see some of these companies raising in the AI space 150 to 400 million dollars of capital. They need that to power a transformer model if they're going to build from scratch. And so it literally is just this is the requirement of even to play base. Yeah. The team has. This is what it costs to staff the team. Yeah, that, that's a, that's a fair point. That's your if, payroll. If, if yeah, if the costs have have changed for some of these, I think this is like a subset. But like going back to, um, and I feel like a broken record, especially in a, on our WhatsApp group. Like, and let's leave. Let's just talk from experience. Like I I've seen from the other side of it. Like so, at, at my last company, we raised prior to product market fit. We raised way too much money. I just I just think and, you have trauma. I think, well, I think well, so too. Here, okay, here. Here's yeah. a here's a list of all of the so let's let's remove the 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 biotech companies and everything. Let's talk about like YC's like bread and butter, which is like 
software companies. Hmm. Here's a list of some of the, the their, their biggest um, outcomes and their initial seed rounds. Stripe, 2 million. Instacart, 2.3 million. Hmm. OpenSea, 2 million. Dropbox, hmm. 1.2 million. Airbnb, 600K. I do believe that constraints breed creativity. And while it's very uncomfortable to go through those times with a smaller team, uh, no, not enough resources. Um, I'd also argue that today, if you're not in AI and you don't require a lot of like cost for, for all these GPU cycles and all those things, like you're, you're much more, you can be much more efficient with mm -hmm. like all the tools. So it actually should be cheaper to build startup. So like before you do hit product market fit, that should, your goal should be to get there. And I just think that raising littler amount of money, mm -hmm. having a smaller team and just focus on getting that and then take more capital. I'm all for like, we're all in the venture capital, um, uh, kind of treadmill and like, as soon as you hit a product market fit, I am all for let yeah. go raise as much capital. You need to be the industry leader. That's what this whole business is all about. But before, I just think that it just makes you sloppy. It, 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 it people, you it have does. the money in the bank, you're yeah. going to hire these senior people. They're not going to be as scrappy. Um, I'll just talk from my experience. Okay. Like I've seen that. So that, that's what I'm kind of coming from. But of I, course there's I, exceptions. I think, Kevin, I think you're right. It's, it's true. It does make you sloppy. I remember I being sloppy. Of course, currently I'm not sloppy at all. But back then I was absolutely sloppy. What do you tell the people that over-raised a little bit? They're sitting on a valuation that they don't deserve that needs to be cut in half. And, and so what, I mean, what would you do if you, I, this is not your situation, but what would you do? What hard decisions would you make? What would you advise others if you had invested in their company and they were listening, which they don't? So I, I think it depends on the stage of the company. Um, so one of my friends actually was looking at joining a company that raised at one of these like insane multiples, like it was like 500x. And the the founder um, was not willing to come to terms that that was not their real valuation. Hmm. And he, he's looking at the actual like the, the stock options he's going to get. He's like, these are already underwater. He's like, I'm not going to join your company. Mm -hmm. So it's, I think that if, if you are in that position, not even if you, if, if you've raised a lot of money, yeah, be disciplined, try not to overhire, even though it's going to be hard, do all those things. But I think also to attract talent, you need to reprice yourself um, because people are joining for the, the equity upside in a lot of times. Um, so do that proactively, take that hit. You would um, actively take a down round. Uh, no, I think you, you would try to actually reprice the, um, the company. Um, and I'm sure there's a lot, Andy could probably as the VC, uh, in the room, uh, talk about a lot of those things, but like, how, how do you, in this circumstance, so a later stage company, so say uh, in this case, it was a series B company. They raised at like a 500 X on like a few million dollars in revenue. Like what would you, what would you do to attract really good talent? Yeah, I mean, it's a, I've never seen this actual scenario play out. Um, I, I was a VC. I'm not a VC. Um, so I think the scenario I've seen, I think what you're describing is proactively restructure the company. Um, and 
I've never seen it. I don't know. I think that company that Sequoia did, Vise AI, there, it looked like there was a blog post where they actually went and did this. I'm not sure if that was the exact scenario, but it's something along the lines of how they repriced their equity. Um, and so maybe this is that scenario. I think you do probably have to do something like that. I think the simple solution is grow or die. You yeah. have to grow into that valuation. Mm -hmm. And that means you have to hit the numbers that you told everyone you were going to hit when you raised at 500 times revenue, or you have to do something drastic. And what that drastic thing means, it could be pivoting, it could be restructuring. But I, I just think a five, some of these high revenue multiple companies, you're probably in trouble. Yeah. And I do think, taking it full circle back to what Kevin said, I think, Kevin, you're probably the only one here who's really raised a lot of money pre-product market fit and tried to do the scaling. And so maybe some of your advice does come from some of the trauma. I don't think Joe, mm. myself, or Julian have ever done that. I was always yeah, on the we, hamster We all have wheel. real companies. Yeah, that's not a big thing. <laughs> we were all more capital constrained. You're better at playing the hype cycle than the rest of us. Let's do <laughs> yeah. it like that. And I think we had a really interesting guest on this show, Siki Chen. And I think... Siki talked about his runway. I think he had five years of runway in the bank. They don't have a lot of employees over there. They had maybe sub 20. And don't quote me on this. I think we're going to have to go back to the interview. And he's just playing the long game. He knows he has to find product market fit. Mm -hmm. He is not hiring a bunch of people who are increasing burn. And he is focused on it. And he has five yeah. years of runway to figure it out. That's a very interesting way to run a company, but that's one way. Yeah. And, and I appreciate people, that restraint. That works. I yeah. do. I, I respect that restraint a lot. It is so, I, I mean, like, like I said, Kevin, you and I grew up in the same space where it was like, fucking hire, just, just yeah. do it. We, that's how you scale in 2013 to 2016 or whatever. Um, yeah, Joe, you raised... Your Series A was a massive at the time, one point five million or whatever happened Without. in two thousand nine. I, I, can you? I mean, you can't do that. Can you do this in twenty twenty three? That's the real question, I guess. Because my first employee is a breather. They all made eighty five k, including myself. Right? Those people don't make eighty five k anymore in this in this day and age. And also, you ran a pure software business that you started and that you wrote the code for the first time. The average founder is not out there writing code the same way. They're more like a hype machine marketing person or something. So, like, it, are, are those conditions even possible for most founders or no? Yeah, it doesn't feel like it. I mean, certainly that is the, it's so awesome to be young and just to be able to just, like, you know, have a, a way lower living expense and, and be skilled in a way that you can do those things, like, uh, you know, for me and a lot, most of my network, I feel like those days are past and, you know, you be scrappy where you can, but the world has changed. Um, it's also changed in the sense that it is so much harder now to get attention and make anyone care about what you've built. Yeah. Like the first version of clout was so shitty, like unspeakably shitty. And People jumped all over it because there wasn't 500 other things, 500,000 mm -hmm. other things, 5 million other things like competing right. for attention. Yep. 
the feeling this now and what I am building, the bar is so high. Table stakes, you know, are yeah. like so set in place that to get anyone to try what you're doing and, and, you know, if you're trying to get somebody to switch off something to what you're doing, like you really have to deliver a very, very compelling. Mm -hmm. Joe, I, I don't mind telling you the first three, three and a half, four people at practice here. Um, those people started out building a chat product that was a consumer focused product. Right. And I used to tell talk to people about it being kind of a teaching thing, a peer to peer learning and teaching thing. And it was just iOS. And I want to say, did it take 12 months? We didn't have a lot of money. We clearly didn't have a lot of burn for four people. We, I, I was like, we don't have the team to do this. We are just, this is not our DNA. It, it, this, the bar for chat is so high consumer you're in the right town for it. Yeah. If a town exists, which is Los Angeles, but the consumer bar is so high. You know, you were chatting the other day in the WhatsApp about the location. Like, when do you get people to accept notifications? Like, Correct. I don't know if I could live that way, my man. I don't know if it's possible. I, yeah, it, it's tough. All small deal things are tough. I, I do an average $35 transaction. That's tough because I just got to get the crazy volume. You have to get $0 transaction. It's kind of almost harder. Yeah, we need time. We want people's time and attention. And there's a lot of competition for that. No uh, doubt about I it. Think it. And we're, we're not necessarily solving a specific pain point that you're willing to throw money at and you're compelled to, to like solve. We're trying to like, uh, I don't know, inspire you to do something you weren't necessarily imagining you were going to do. Joe, can, mm -hmm. Joe, just for the audience, can you just explain like what not, I know you're not public with your company, but like what your business model would be? Yeah. So, I mean, we're, you know, it's not necessarily a secret. We're just early and there's not a, something worth showing everybody yet. We're, we're, we're building basically a new professional network and uh, so it's, you know, a pure consumer, social networky type thing. And by the way, you're the most qualified person, like among the most qualified person that I know. And it's still incredibly hard. And that is what's challenging. You know, you would feel, I knew how to build a company in 2013 to 2015, right? Like I mm -hmm. built a pretty sizable, successful thing with positive unit economics by the end. And and in, but does that help me in 2021, 23? It does. It helps me hire. It helps me to lead. I know how to lead people better. I know how to manage better. And I know how to, you know, to, uh, how to direct people. I know how to make better decisions. But does that mean I have everything figured out? Certainly not. Even if I ran a real estate product, product again, I would still not have figured everything out. And that's the part that's really challenging is every single part at time you do it, it is faster than the last fuck up set of fuck ups that you made. Right. And you do it 10% more correctly or 20% or maybe even 50% more correctly, but certainly not a hundred percent more correctly. I got, I got a question for everybody listening. So like, I, I know that we've all internally talked about like, um, like our, our burns and all that, obviously we won't disclose any of that. And like when people need to fundraise and everything, but for for the people that are in like a decent runway position, like how much does this 
impact them. So for all the listeners, like mm-hmm. as far as like the market, it's really hard to raise a series A or B, but like, like how, how much does that actually impact? How much should they be paying attention to, to that Yeah. Um, versus just like being heads down and just building because the, the, for like, this can be very distracting. Um, if, especially if you, if you have like that 24 months of runway and your seed stage company and you're trying to find product market fit, you're like, should we be cutting and all, all this crazy stuff? Like, like what, what is your advice to anybody else listening as far as how, how much should they be paying attention to kind of the, this, this new cycle right now? I, I, I just, having just been in this first run capital thing where they're explicitly asked me not to share. And so I'll be minimal with the amount of stuff that I share, but it, it, it fits my framework. Do you have nine, do you have to raise in the next nine months? Yes or no? If yes, what are my odds of success? High, go for, go do it right away. If it's low, then it's like, do you have the ability to solve those fundamentals in 90 days? Can you do it in 90 days? Yes or no? If you can do it in 90 days, then go out, roll the dice. If you can't do it in 90 days, your options are cut, burn, raise a top off, or hail Mary, <laughs> which is to be like, fuck it. I, I, I know that I've, I, I don't know if y'all have done rounds like that before. I definitely have. I have, yeah. let be, I, I have, yeah, I, most of my life, I feel like uh, those, those are the rounds. I have over a year of runway today. So, I have the opportunity to to sit and execute some more. But for everybody I like else, Hail Mary is an option. I'd love to know what that actually looks. Well, you know what it looks like. It's well, like no, get 150 fun names together and do them serially and back channel and like all oh, that crap that you do when your back is against the wall. So no, no yeah. let's give some actual advice, right? I think that our last episode we had um, Michael Cho from Unsplash on. I think he 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 actually gave great advice as far as like what did a Hail Mary look like? So they were in a very unusual spot that they had a, a side project that took off Unsplash that they weren't making any money off of, but it had hundreds of millions of, of uh, monthly active users on it. And they just couldn't raise more money. Um, they had a big prep stack, and it was a different environment. Um, but his his thing was just like reach out to a ton more people. Yeah, he's like and, and unusual, and unusual financing yeah. sources. Yeah, I've definitely done that. Like try to fill out a round in 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 my history. It's like rando Asian like pension funds. Sure. And and you, we all know that they exist. We we have some contacts. And, and thank you for your commitment, you know, if any of you are listening, you funds. And and also, uh, you know, I, 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 I would be remiss. The Canadian pension funds, you know, every Canadian knows <laughs> that they can go talk to them. And, uh, and, and the real estate funds that are run by some, you know, multifamily office or something, right? And so there was... In my space, and that's one of the reasons Adam Newman was so successful fundraising at WeWork, is right. it was an infinite number of these rando financing sources. Right. He it's would just fly to Abu Dhabi or yeah. some shit, and then it'd be $100 million in oil money or something in his in, in his company. And and everyone was like, I've never seen any, I've never met anyone like this. Wrong accent. Uh, and, but, but that's what, that's what he did. And it was successful. 
running straight software is harder, but it's certainly doable. Michael t- talks about doing it. You know, it, it, it ain't easy, but you got to get super creative. You do. We've all done, I can speak to myself. I've definitely done this, Julian. So I've definitely (laughs) done this along the way. I'm just laughing about the feeling of like, who the fuck could we talk to? Oh my God. Who are we going to talk to right now? Shit. Looking around the table. In the the last decade. Uh Well, and sometimes there's also, it could be somebody in the industry. Like, so I I think that, um, so for people in a tough spot, um, you're going to, first of all, you're going to look to your um, existing investors mm-hmm. and to see what you can kind of pull from them. Um, but then there's like a whole, like there's, it's a, there's a very large community out there of people who know other people who know other funds, all of that. I think mm-hmm. that's where I would like, I've sourced more capital doing that way. And it, just, and it could just take one person that leads to another yeah. intro to whatever and so I, th- I think like the advice that I would give people is like, just don't give up. Um, if that's you a- actually, if, if you actually have something that's working, yeah. um, don't, don't give up and just continue trying, um, reach out to, I I've, I've done this before in previous rounds, um, even with air house, we, we had a couple of rounds that were kind of hard to get done because we had an early marketplace with no revenue. Um, that's completely changed today, which is great. Um, but like. I would just reach out and be that one person who introed me to this one other firm that it's like, oh my God, we just got a million bucks in, in the yep. door. And then that starts a whole new round. And it's just like, it's just, this is the whole story with Michael. Um, he just reached out to this one person he thought he was going to angel invest. And then they ended up doing a, a $5 million um, investment and completely um, restructuring the entire um, cap table to to get later on Jeff Lewis from Bedrock to invest in them, which and then they were able to sell. So it is, it really is. If you have a really great company, it's just like don't fucking give up. Like the, the, the part going. that I like about this podcast, by the way, is that we're not focused on. And this was a big exit, right? We do have those people as guests, sure, and we did have those outcomes, right? Like like Loom at the moment, that's a that's a top company right now, right? Figma, like all these these other companies like Plaid, those yeah. people, those are top shelf and VC-based companies. And Michael, thinking about it, I don't actually know what the outcome is. I don't know but either. But from a VC standpoint, I don't care. What I care about is the entrepreneur that right. got to the other side. And that's what that's the thing that I respect the most. Not to be generic, but the man in the arena, the man or woman in the, in the arena that's doing that is doing the work every day. And it's the part of the Paul Graham thing that I respect the most because he's got those 13 sentences about startups that I always return to, like the 100 theses of, what is it, uh, Martin Luther or whatever on the wall. Um, and, uh, and, and the two that I always stand by are don't get demoralized. And then if you do get demoralized, don't give up. And, yep. and you know, that gets you, that gets you through a hard quarter if you have one to me In, until you've got a note from at least three different japanese corporations <laughs> and the rotary club of yeah. of tokyo yeah, yeah. don't give yeah. up don't give up yeah in my case it was uh talking to uh singaporean private equity funds real estate funds and uh and and canadian pension funds and you know it's just 
I didn't even know any level, any tier one VCs. I was just looking back because I was sharing something and I was surprised by how few tier one people I spoke to at my last company. Right. I still got something done. Joe, you have a thought. I mean, this whole conversation of these Hail Marys and these like, you know, overlooked investors and things like that, it just to me brings to mind how lucky you have to get in yes. the startup stuff. Like, mm-hmm. you know, it's, we all work, you know, as hard as we possibly can. Um, and, you know, that work puts you in a position to get lucky. But it is the random intro, the random, mm-hmm. you know, foreign government, the random, yep. uh, you know, meeting that turns into an acquisition offer, whatever, uh, that like, you know, is the difference between an amazing exit and maybe just nothing. Uh, and, you know, I've seen both sides of that. It's, it's, it's funny how often that comes up it it is and the the one that i sit with all the time is the evernote story of they're like planning to shut down their company and they're like one week away from missing payroll or something and they're like chatting with their users evernote again like the outcome is not material to me for the part of the story and they're just like texting with these users at evernote and one of them is like, I just love this product. Can I put in money? And they're like, oh my God, sure. How much? And, and he's, and they're like $500,000. And that random user saves the company by investing at it, uh, in it one week before, uh, payroll is about to shut the thing down. We've, we've all had moments like that. We talked about them. I'll never forget like Dave Moran being like, I love your product right. and I want to put right. in a million dollars when I really needed it. You know, it, it, so it really does speak to we're not immune to the cycle here also we're, right. we're going through the cycle there's a reason i was in that first round capital thing because i'm want to know more about what it takes to raise an a in this market so we're not immune to it i think one of the things around the table that we understand that maybe other people do not is you kind of just have to keep going even though even though you don't know the answer yeah my I, superpower I think... is walking on glass <laughs> Well, and this kind of goes back to, I, I think it was, it was Paul Graham as well, it is, is the whole thing is just like, just don't die. Yeah. Right? Like, there's a lot of things that could change. It could be in the the um, it, the market that you're in with your customers. It could be in the VC market that could change. Yeah. It could be a macro thing that could change, right? Like, look at, like, what happened to COVID. Like, there's so many, like, COVID success stories um, mm-hmm. that happened over that. And it was just like, just don't die. Do everything possible you can to just not die. Um, and then there can be some amazing stuff. But like, yeah, I'm sure everybody on here has been like, even myself uh, at ship, like we raised a lot of money. We still in, in, in between rounds, mm-hmm. it was like, we're like, almost out of we're like, can we make payroll? <laughs> like, as we're closing these <laughs> rounds? Like, I think everybody can everybody agree on here like that, that we've all been through that. I definitely, I've definitely felt that pressure. I remember waking up and, and waking up in the middle of the night and sitting on one of my old couches that I had at like three o'clock in the morning and I open up my laptop and I'm like looking in the early stage, it's like, 
you're, I don't know how, how close y'all are with cash, but definitely now I kind of understand where, how cash is going out the door. Then I kind of didn't. And so I, I sort of like look at my bank account of, of the company in this case. And I'm like, oh my God, I think I need to be fundraising like now. Oh crap. And, and, and you just have one of these moments where you realize you're looking death in the face over the potential of death in the face. I think I've felt that many a time for sure. Yeah, me too. Me too. And as I was saying, like, I think on, on one of the last podcasts, what I, what I, what I've tried to do more of is like scenario planning. So don't yeah. wait until you get the, to mm -hmm. that. Oh shit moment. It's like, you have a few different scenarios that are just like, if this happens, then kind of go down this path or whatever. Yeah. Also, I, th I think like warming up, um, uh, I think we actually spoke about this on the, in, on the chat as well. Like trying to talk to a lot more people up front, um, like whether that be right. partners yeah. or, um, other, uh, uh, investors or whoever, I think mm. that, that was Julian, that would came from you, right? That yeah. Was, it was uh, advice that was given to me. And, and it was like, take these conversations that you are going to have in whatever amount of time, whenever your fundraising is intended to occur and just front load those relationships. Right. And so, uh, for example, I went to Andrew, uh, Chen, who is my lead investor at Anderson Horowitz. And I spoke to him and I was like, okay, what's the next round looking like? And then, and chatting about like, what? what that's got to look like in order for us to feel good about it. But there, the recommendation is, 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 and that's distinct from how I used to fundraise. I used to fundraise, like I had a big, very serious attitude of never give investors any data uh, before the fundraise. I had the same thing before. Yeah. 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 It's, I, so I, what was your I reasoning behind it? I'm curious about that. Uh, it was, it was just like a competitor thing. Um, it was like, I was just worried that competitors were going to be able to see this, mm. um, and try to see what was working and, and copy it where like in reality that typically doesn't usually happen. Yeah. Um, and, and, but, it, but, it, but it's also on the other side of it, um, with, with this company Airhouse, I, I, I tried to like during our seed round, I, uh, like warmed up so we didn't take any um, money from any of the major like multi-stage funds. Um, and I did that like on purpose because I didn't want the signaling risk. I had signaling issues before my last company. So, um, I didn't want to do that. Um, and, um, so I, I just talked to a lot of these multi-stage firms. I was like, this is what I'm up to, but I'm not raising mm -hmm. and to try to build those relationships early. Yeah. Um, that actually didn't work out the best, but I think like, it definitely can. Um, I've now done that um, for potential partners, uh, potential like acquisitions that we potentially can make. Um, mm. Also, um, if we ever got in a really tough spot, potential acquirers getting closer to them, which yep. they may even seem like a little competitive, but it's good to open up those lines of communication. They could be a source um, for a lot of different things, including capital raises and everything like that. I definitely was like you, Julian, like more closed off to a lot of those conversations. But now it's just like, it's just so fucking hard to build a really good company. And yeah. like, it, I think it's better to be connected to those people. Mm -hmm. And, um, and then you never know what's going to happen. Um, it can, it could change your company's trajectory. For, for me, the reason that I never shared data between financings is I 
for the longest time felt that unless there were pressure of someone else taking a deal away from the person I'm speaking to, that they would not do it. And I, I was just noticing whenever I gave data to a single person, I was just like, deals never get done this way. Deals only ever get done when yeah. I speak to one person and then there's somebody else trying to take it away. And, and so I simply learned as a matter of course, I learned this at the series between the series A and the series B series A, I didn't have a process. And this is the other thing that maybe like people listening can, can, can take away is, is running a serious hardcore process that is really thought through. I don't know how much deal pressure and momentum matters in this type of market anymore. If everyone is kind of backing out. Mm -hmm. But it, to me, I continue to sit with, well, I will be out in this amount of time, at which point we'll discuss, uh, you know, how the numbers are then. But I will say that there is a lesson that I, I, I used to be like one of those people who's like Gary Vaynerchuk is like, we're killing it like all the time. Now I'm like, when speaking to people, I say, here's what I feel we figured out. Here's what I feel we haven't figured out. Yeah. Here's what we're working on and here's what we're proud of. And I think it paints a realist picture from the CEO. And that realist picture is, oh, this person actually like, this person is thinking through the problems. Right. Versus this person is just blindly like slamming through walls, but has no idea what's coming up. Yeah, I, I agree with that. And I think that that definitely attracts a certain type of investor. I think that there, there definitely is the type of investor who who just wants to invest in those hype companies. And so first time entrepreneur doesn't really matter, all those things, but there is, um, and, uh, I don't know if you guys listen to 20 minute VC, but I, but I do. And just to kind of get, get, um, uh, the per investor's perspective, there are a lot of, um, investors out there that, that do specifically look for traits like this. They look for people who are realistic on things. They look for people that when they say they're going to do something, they come back and they actually like accomplish that. Versus like, everything's great. Like we're just, we're, mm -hmm. this is a rocket ship. Like everything's always great. And like, they try to defend anything that's not working, um, well or whatever versus being like, no, this is a, this is a thing that we've got to prove out. But like, here's mm. like, here's the four other things that we've actually done since we last talked that I told you that we were going to do. So I think there's different, definitely different, uh, investor personalities and, I think definitely as like a, a second time founder, I, I would definitely lean into that versus we're, we're killing it. Um, mm -hmm. as, as it sounds like you, you are Julian, I don't know, Joe, mm -hmm. how do you, how do you, I, I know you guys are, are still C stage right now, but like, how do you think, how do you think that through? Do you, do you try to warm up with investors like now, um, or are you totally closed off? Like, are you thinking, are you just so focused on your, your, your just finding a fit with your, your product right now? Like, how, how do you think through that, given you, this is your third company now? You know, one thing that has been nice being in Los Angeles is when I was building Cloud in San Francisco, it was so easy to, like, do the coffee catch-up with the VC. You know, you right. bump into them in the neighborhood, they stop by the office, you see them wherever. And in LA, it's just not, you know, it's just not normal. Like, uh, so I don't, it's nice. And I'm, and it's funny, I'm in LA and I'm in downtown LA. So most of the LA startups are in the like Silicon beach, Venice, Santa Monica. So if someone wants to talk to me, 
I don't go to them. I try to make them come to me as much as possible. It doesn't always work that way, but uh, it, you know, makes them invest a little in the conversation. And when they invest in the conversation, they come to LA, they come across town. Um, yeah, I will talk to them about where we are. Uh, I'm not doing it as casually as I maybe was before. And uh, again, structurally, LA helps with that. Um, one thing I will talk more about than where we are is where we will be when I raise. Mm. Right? So like, yeah, you know, I'm just making something up here. If we were talking about revenue, I wouldn't be like, oh, we're at, you know, $500,000 a month and, you know, uh, MRR. I would be, you know, I would talk about it as like, you know, when we hit a million, I'm going to be out in market. And that gets them. Okay. Like that, I feel like is a nice way to like bookmark where we're like mm -hmm. order of magnitude, where we're heading. And they can always do the math on like, well, you're this many people. You raised this many months ago. That means you have this mm -hmm. much resume, this much runway. So you must think you're going to get there in this amount of time. Um, let them kind of figure that out. How, Joe, how do you manage? It's maybe a question for the panel, but just how do you manage, Joe, the, the fact that you just don't know how fast you're going to grow? Like, you know, I, I was very, I'll, I'll be any, I think anyone on my board of breeder would have said the same thing. They'd be like, this guy doesn't know what numbers he's going to hit. It's like, it's growing, <laughs> but he doesn't know why or how. <laughs> and so, uh, it, yeah. So we would come into a board meeting and be like, we think we're going to hit this. And, and the consistent lack of hitting or hitting in some places where we didn't think we would, and then not hitting in places where we did, it's, um, it, it, it was, it was clear the management team. I want to say the word I want to use is inexperienced at forecasting and then hitting targets, which, which, which degrades confidence to a degree. And so how do you say, we're going to do A, we're going to do A and B amount of time, and then we're going to be at C place when we do that. How do you, how do you, how can you tell? Yeah. I mean, way harder month, month, quarter to quarter in the board meeting, I feel like, than in the like, right. here's the vanity metric. I know I'm going to like, juice to like raise my round <laughs> uh, so you know I, I certainly don't feel like I've yeah I struggle with that for sure and mm -hmm. you know in early stage especially and I've had the false positives where it's like holy shit this is gonna be huge and then it's like oh falls off a cliff and you know all those different things for sure have happened um, you know and I've had business lines that like uh, you know, where we over, you know, we succeed, we're over planned. Like we go, we do better than we even expected. And like mm. the graph gets really solid and we can start doing the prediction, but that's rare. I've not, I've not lived many of those days. Um, I've, I would have another, another topic to, to bring up, like given the, um, harder fundraising environment, given the kind of macro, even large tech layoffs, um, that we're seeing happen. I just shared a, a tweet with you guys, uh, uh, DoorDash, which which I think is happening with a lot of other um, larger tech companies. They're mm -hmm. reducing uh, the amount that they're 
um, they're paying people. Um, obviously there's a lot more people, a lot more engineers or designers or anybody who's going to work for a tech company. Um, you could kind of see like on the one side, it's harder to raise more capital right now, but that means there's going to be a, a lot more available employees out there. How do you guys think that this is going to change? Like, I know that yeah. I, I definitely like when, when we were, when it was super hot, like we, we were in the hype cycle at my last company and like, I just tried to, to do anything I could to keep like engineers happy and like mm -hmm. pay them, pay them a lot of money. And we had yeah. like lunches and snacks and like all of the crazy stuff. Um, so on, on the other side, if you are a company doing like really well, mm -hmm. do you think this is, is an opportunity to like scoop up some really good talent for reasonable prices? Like we are, we're talking to, to founders here. What, mm. Have you guys thought through that at all? For, first, Kevin, can you explain how Total Comp is for those outside of Silicon Valley where that isn't a uh, topic, con a, a conversational topic in, at dinners? How is to Total Comp calculated in Silicon Valley companies? So, if you're if you're going to work for like a a, so a public company, um, tech com co tech company, they're going to mm. issue you. They're, you're going to have a, a base salary, which is cash in in, in the bank that you make. Um, and then you're also going to get RSUs, um, that are going to be basically, um, it's just stock in the stock based compensation. So there's this one tweet here that, um, DoorDash, uh, has reduced, um, what is it here? The, the, the base cash to 180 K base, mm -hmm. uh, with total compensation to be 290 K. So that'd mean that they'd be getting 110 K in stock-based conversation on top of it, which, mm -hmm. which in a public company, which is one of the reasons you want to go public, people can then go and sell it whenever they want to. Yep. But also it doesn't actually, it doesn't cost the, the, the company actual dollars. And we don't have to go into the financials and all that, that plays out and all, all those different type, types of things. But that, that is the kind of, yeah, the definition of like the, uh, the, the total comp. Um, and mm -hmm. you can, you should also think about this one. You're joining a late stage company as well. They're going to do the same thing, but it's not going to be liquid. You're not going to be able to sell your your shares. Um, so so that's what it is. But the the tweet here was just like for DoorDash to be starting people off. I think this was uh, this was a mid level software engineering role with a base of 180. Like I think I I don't I like maybe guessing like a year ago that probably would have been double. Yep. Mm -hmm. um, yep. So salaries are coming down across the board. This is happening um, everywhere. And I don't yeah. think there's any, you know, but the, the thing is, is almost every company that wanted to staff up did. Yes. And so actually everyone right now is sitting with the, the old total comp that they had from 2021 or whatever. And, and we're not seeing a bunch of people that are like oh my god great i can hire except for maybe like the the fang companies right that are going oh my god i can hire a bunch of engineers on the cheap now like everyone has the engineers that they want is the challenge i think joe andy are you hiring i i mean i we're we've stayed at the same size for the past i want to say 12 months mostly we're not hiring today so uh we've been mm -hmm. we hit our hiring plan uh in january yeah, we, 
had an idea of hiring, you know, one or two roles for the year. And right now those whole <laughs> ideas are on hold until, you know, we have more confidence because, uh, like we're just not making those bets. Like we're yeah. you know, we are certainly being way more conservative. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you hire for the for the positions for for the milestones you need to hit, and then you just stay at that steady state. Am I right? Yeah, that's a great way to do yeah. it. Yeah, but here, here's another question: Do you do you think that this? So it ha- it has been um, so employee friendly for such a long time, especially during this boom cycle. Does this change the way that you guys think about like operating your your companies at all? as far as maybe some of the perks or maybe some of the people that like you didn't really want to rock the boat. I definitely felt this before at ship. Mm-hmm. It was just like, we were competing with so many other companies and, yeah. and everything that it's like, you don't, we, you don't want to like this person is actually underperforming, but it's like, you don't really want to cut them because that, because they're so liked in the company or something like that. Um, <laughs> yeah. And I definitely made those decisions before, but like, do you think that now it's, it's, it's going it has or it's going to in the next six months change to more of an employer um friendly environment and also there's another thing that's happening as well remote work i think this is also a a a big thing that i think that a lot of people saw employees saw remote work was going to like allow you to move anywhere and keep the same salary Mm -hmm. um like, I don't know how much of an impact this is having now. Like, you could now work at anywhere, but also your cost of livings are, are going down. People are hiring less. So now salaries are dropping. Um, so that may also be another, another thing. I don't know. What, what are your guys' thoughts on your their, your current team yeah. um, and how you if this would change the, the way that you would manage them or, I would just or say like anything like that? My, my coach, who only coaches or for the most part coaches Silicon Valley CEOs, actually said, he said, oh, employee activism is a 0% interest rate phenomenon to me, <laughs> like last week. I, there was no situation in my company that was related to this, but he brought it up for some reason. I was like, wow, okay, this is, that's a really strong statement, right? Uh, and so I don't know, but also I'm not really meaningfully affected by it because only three people or something are American in my company. I have people well, in, you know, but well, you don't think it's it- a, you don't, but it, it's going to bring down salaries across everywhere, right? Like it's not going to just be in the U.S. Yeah, I mean that's right. But let's let's imagine that you have a. I mean, we have an engineer in Brazil. Okay, so and and by the way, uh, it's his name is Rafa, and we love him. Okay, so so we so so Rafa, and and so his comp in twenty twenty one was a. His comp hasn't changed, by the way, but but if you imagine that market is, I don't know, 10 or 20 percent of are are you really considering the delta between your Brazilian engineer and a Silicon Valley engineer? Are you really going to like make a change? You're not going to make a change there. You're just going to be like, I have I have a good engineer from Brazil who's who's got a market Brazilian salary and 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 it worked. Right. It's only at the at the. The, the gigantic extremes of Silicon Valley or New York salaries. And New York is very guilty of this too, that you want to make a change in your company. Joe, I, I can, I can feel you thinking. I mean, the kind of like, maybe we talked about this before, but shit really rolls downhill. Like the mm-hmm. investors are putting pressure on us, you know, mm-hmm. with like, 
harder to do financing, like a lot of pressure on terms and valuation, then founders, CEOs go put pressure on their team. Like, hey, you know, there's no salary increases and, uh, you know, we're not doing the the bars and the lunch and the this and the that. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's a reality. And it is a, you know, a world that's not 0% interest rates. And that's what we live in now. Well, I think everyone used to like negatively look upon Amazon for having a cheap culture. There's the Amazon in one, yeah. in one sphere and yeah, there's yeah. Google in one sphere. I've only run Amazons. So I've never, my companies don't normally have free lunch. Um, my companies pay very competitively, but we don't have all the bells and whistles and perks. And I'd rather uh, personally pour, uh, pour it onto employee compensation than I would put it on free DoorDash credits and ice cream Tuesdays mm. and Friday happy hours. And I think that's also interesting when the fact that I've run basically two distributed companies. So there's some extra costs, but there's also some different costs that you have there. Um, and I think in general, I mean, you, you don't get points for spending money. You get points for saving money. You get points for the Amazon model. Um, mm-hmm. You can go do whatever you want, but the goal of a great CEO, you're a wartime CEO right now. And everyone at yeah, a wartime CEO yeah. fights the Amazon battle. And in peacetime, you can be like Google. And I think there's a fundamental difference. Why this is all very interesting is we're talking about salaries and how this is all playing out in an, in an environment where there's inflation. And that's a very different environment that any of us have really worked in over the last period. Anyone on right. this podcast have, ne- have really never worked in inflationary environments. Mm-hmm. So, But I'm a wartime CEO and I'll wear that hat and we're going to, we'll hold the line. And so that's my perspective thanks i th- i think for me and and giving anybody else advice i think that what should change and also as as a as an employee of like a, a startup or in the tech sector like i think that um uh you, you should like just do the best you absolutely can like i know, I know there's a lot of people that um uh like i'll just speak about like my friends that i see that are super talented and they just kind of coast to their jobs and it, it kind of infuriates me but i think like you as an employee i think like during this time frame um need to do the best you possibly can and you will be rewarded for it but also as a ceo i think that this like yeah get rid of the extra door rush credits and all that shit of, of course um and but i think what this gives you the ability to do um, is to to manage a little more um, aggressively um, to and and in 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 in, in on, on both ends of the spectrum like reward the people who are working their fucking asses off but mm-hmm. the people that were kind of like before in the zero percent interest and like the war for talent and everything you're just like, gonna let them coast it's like no they're they're gonna be on a pip and they're gonna be gone because they're they're not performing. And so I think that, uh, um, I was, I, I was kind of, um, I've talked to some, some of, of my friends and I don't think that people really rack their brain around, like what, what it like, they, they, they haven't seen their friends that are from Facebook, uh, or from, from Uber or whatever that got laid off 
and they haven't been able to find a job in six months. That hasn't happened yet, but like that is going to happen. Um, mm. And so I think that um, for you as a CEO, I think that don't obviously change like tr things dramatically, but like the reality is there's a lot more talent out there for much so more reasonable prices. I don't think that's going to happen personally. <laughs> you don't think very so? Tight, no, what you just described doesn't jive with what the labor market is. It's an incredibly tight labor market. But are you, there hold is, on, but what labor, you're, you're talking oh, about the okay. overall First of all, US labor market, right? Next episode, everyone. Yeah, we, we got to go. Episode. Okay, that's it. We We're out of time. jobs, okay? Yeah, we, we have to get back to work and, what, and our wartime CEOing. Right. So the takeaway from this episode is everybody is a wartime CEO. Do whatever you yep. can. Yep. Make that make that extra email if you need to raise more money. Um, don't get high this, on your own supply. Don't get high on your own supply. Do whatever you can to survive uh, this moment in time. Uh, everything uh, uh, hopefully will return to somewhat of a normal state eventually. I don't know what that, that is. Um, but, uh, yeah, I don't know. That's, that's a, the, the advice that I would give. That works for me. Adios. Thanks, Thanks everybody for listening. Bye everybody. See you guys. Bye. Hey, yeah, we keep it real and we bring you the facts. It's the second time founders podcast. Talking tech news. The show is a must. Not some billionaire trying to sell you their book. We're coming from a real place. Plenty ups and downs. Got some insights. Join the discussion now. We being honest and raw. Giving you real talk. We've been at the bottom and made it happen and much more. The second time founders podcast. More building, less talk.